It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The next time you're shopping for mountain bike gear, check out singletracks.com slash deals. Each week we share our favorite product picks and exclusive coupon codes from our partners. You can also use the page to search for whatever you're buying from complete mountain bikes to brake sets and tire sealant. That's singletracks.com slash deals. And to get our weekly picks delivered to your inbox, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Links to the newsletter and deals page are in the show notes. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Ryan White. Ryan is the senior product designer at cycling apparel company Pactimo, based in Denver, Colorado. He studied industrial design at Wentworth Institute of Technology and has been designing soft goods for almost a decade now. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So have you always had an interest in clothing or was this just something you got into professionally after graduating with your degree in industrial design? I would say it was not an initial interest, uh, (laughs) but it did crop up in college. So Wentworth had a really cool program where you do what's called a co-op. It's effectively a full-time internship. Mm -hmm. So I uh, did a co-op for a soft goods company that actually makes lacrosse and soccer and field hockey stuff. Okay. So I worked there for uh, two co-ops, actually, so a a full year total. And during that time, I got a huge exposure to soft goods and protective soft goods. Mm -hmm. So I learned a lot of cut and sew. I learned a lot about textiles uh, in addition to kind of molded padding and that kind of thing. So in college, is where it cropped up, but I, you know, continued on the path of maybe I'll do some kind of hard good. I, you know, I was always interested in working in the bike industry. So I was like, oh, helmets or anything like that. But um, eventually my first professional job was with a clothing and soft goods accessory company. So that kind of set me down that path basically. Right. Interesting. So what what was like your cycling background? You mentioned that you were thinking maybe you would get into hard goods and cycling. Were you a, a mountain biker or road cyclist or what, what were you into? So I was kind of the classic tale of a uh, kid hangs around bike shop too long <laughs> and gets offered a job. Uh, I worked at Landry's Bicycles in Natick, Massachusetts oh. as kind of my first gig in the bike industry, I suppose you could say. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, it's, you know, I met a bunch of people that worked there. I started riding with them and it was almost hundred percent mountain biking for the first few years. Okay. But then I dove pretty heavily into road as well. So I kind of, you know, as a, as you do when you work at a bike shop, you accumulate bikes and you try out different stuff and, you know, so mountain biker at heart, but I really love riding road and gravel and kind of everything basically. Interesting. Yeah. A lot of people, it seems like that's their story. You know, they start out working in a bike shop and then, you know, go off to school or, or, you know, just get more experience and then go into something else within the industry. So that's really cool to hear. So how would you describe the Pectimo style? Like what type of rider does the brand target? Well, I guess you could say our style is not quite irreverent, but we try to have an aesthetic that's not terribly serious and a little more fun. You know, we like to, we like to 
play to the more fun aspect of cycling for sure. Even though we are a custom brand at heart that really has a lot of good product for racing teams, mm -hmm. we think our normal customer and based on data too is around between 35 and 55 years old. So we're, we're actually skewing a little older. Mm -hmm. Usually that customer has a pretty good sense of their style. They have a pretty good sense of what um, they like. So the people we find uh, interested in our company are interested in having something that's not a big Italian aesthetic or something like that, even though our, our, our name does kind of evoke that. But um, we generally have loud colors, fun prints. We have the ability to create a number of different prints within the same garment very easily. We actually own our own production. So oh, wow. that's actually one thing that uh, allows us to really experiment. So we're able to kind of almost A-B test with colors and graphics and that kind of thing. So we like to play around a lot. So yeah, I think generally our customers are very road centric. So um, we try to pay attention to what's going on in the road market um, and really key off that. Yeah, but at the same time, you guys have a lot of mountain bike styles and clothing. I mean, baggy shorts and jerseys and all that kind of stuff. So it seems like you're definitely hitting uh, all sides of the cycling market. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of that comes from our custom business. You know, we see a lot of people looking for a custom mountain bike, that kind of thing. And we're able to offer that. And one big thing that we're really keying in on with our mountain bike customer is our mountain bike customer tends to be not a pure mountain biker only. A lot of our customers are crossover. So they have a bunch of different bikes. They like doing a bunch of different riding. Um, and we're really trying to latch onto what that customer is looking for for their baggy stuff. Yeah. Interesting. So one of the questions that we hear a lot whenever we review clothing or we talk about mountain bike clothing on single tracks is, is technical clothing even necessary for mountain biking? Like what kind of difference does it make on the trail? Like why can't you just go out and, you know, wear your cotton t-shirt and your, your jeans if you want to do that? Sure. You know, there's the, the age old cotton kills <laughs> concept in mountaineering and in outdoor, you know, gear generally. Yeah. The basic concept is cotton is like a sponge and it doesn't uh, effectively wick and transport moisture. Uh -huh. So that's kind of the main, just don't wear cotton when you're riding. Yeah. That being said, if you want to ride in a t-shirt, just ride in a t-shirt. It's not the biggest deal, you know? Right. But if you're going for comfort, I think there is a kind of base level of technicality that you want to look for. A polyester t-shirt like a your standard running t-shirt a lot of our mountain bike jerseys are a basic polyester with a little bit of spandex thrown in there yeah the big advantage is polyester is really super efficient at wicking so you're going to transport that moisture off your body onto the surface of the fabric and it will evaporate so you do get a measurable amount of cooling now people will say with polyester you're going to get a stink buildup. Like that's kind of the big knock on poly. Ah. And that's why a lot of people love, uh, you know, a non-technical looking material like a Merino, but Merino naturally has, uh, oils in it that basically help resist odor buildup and bacteria buildup. It's really bacteria that sits on the surface of the yarns. That's going to give you that stink. Huh. So, uh, Merino has the ability to combat that, uh, with less washing, and you want to wash it less anyways because you're going to destroy your merino stuff if you wash it too, too much. Hmm. So at a baseline, polyester's better than cotton. Mm -hmm. And then there's arguments to be made that a merino is better. And then what you're seeing from most brands now is they're doing some blend of merino and a polyester or nylon. And what that does is that gives the uh, kind of odor fighting and the wet, wet or cool 
in uh, like a hot condition mm-hmm. aspect of merino, but then gives you the durability of like a polyester or a synthetic that won't uh, abrade or it won't snag as much. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's kind of where a lot of brands have gone. Yeah. That's interesting. So I guess to wrap up the long, the long answer, you don't need, need technical, but for comfort, it's a huge, huge benefit. And then when you're talking someone who's really high performance, like you're racing, mm-hmm. when you're wicking efficiently and when you're sweating efficiently, you're transporting, you're transporting heat. So you're able to keep your core temperature down for a longer period of time. So that's in extreme conditions, someone who's really racing. But if you're concerned about that, uh, there's absolutely a benefit to the technical fabrics that are out there now. Yeah. Interesting. One of the things you mentioned, Merino wool and Companies are incorporating more of that into like other fabrics. Is there in merino wool in particular? I'm always surprised they'll say like this is a merino sock, but then you look at the label and it's like 10% merino or 8%. Like, is there is there any kind of standard with that stuff? Like in the industry to say like it's got to have some amount of contact. I feel like a lot of consumers are not understanding of that. No. There is no standard there. The only standards that really exist are, you know, for import tariffs. So the government looks at that and they charge you different rates based on what your Merino percentage is. But at the end of the day, no, there really is no uh, categorization of Merino contents that you can really use as a guide. Unfortunately, as a consumer, you've got to kind of do your due diligence and uh, look to see what the contents are, you know, and, Hopefully, most brands, we typically have the percentages available on the website of what our uh, materials are. So you can see, like we have a merino base layer that's a 40% merino, 60% polyester. Uh-huh. So we call it a merino blend okay. base layer. We don't call it just a merino because we're trying to be a little more transparent in what the real benefit of the piece is going to be. Now, you know, we, we use Merino, a Merino blend explicitly because we believe in the fact that there's Merino there and it will aid in the, the wicking of the material and the anti-stink properties. But we're not going to say it's just Merino because you're right. You will see a lot of companies that say it's a Merino piece and it's just not. And, you know, that's slightly deceptive, I guess you could say, but at the same rate, you are typically going to get probably a more durable product if it's not fully merino so in the end the consumer doesn't necessarily lose out except for if you do feel deceived that you're not getting a purely merino piece so yeah there's there's kind of arguments on both sides i suppose but yeah transparency would be good um just so consumers understand what they're getting yeah interesting and to be clear too i mean again it's a real buzzword like i'm kind of i'm glad you brought it up that you know merino is like kind of a newer thing or it's the thing that a lot of brands are using that really benefits uh, the materials properties. But is Merino, is that like a, from my understanding, it's a certain type of sheep that, that you get the wool from and it's like a little bit softer. But again, is there like rules around like you have to get it from this certain place or this certain sheep or like how is that even regulated? Is, is that like a brand name or how does it work? So there are several companies that are effectively accreditation companies that can track sourcing for Merino. Mm -hmm. So yes, in effect, there are several brands that are able to do that. We don't use a lot of Merino at the moment. We're exploring it. We've more historically been a printable company, uh, which is kind of our custom background. Um, But I know there are several companies out there that are using effectively accreditors for their Merino sourcing. Merino sourcing is an important thing to do just because it is a specific type of Merino sheep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also need to track 
basically the care and well-being of the sheep. Um, so you'll see something with a lot of merino, people call it muesling-free. And muesling is basically a process that they are doing to the live animal to help reduce um, infection in the animals, but some people look at it as a cool, as a cruel practice. Um, so I'm the, again, I'm not an expert on Merino, but I've looked into it a lot and that seems to be the prevailing direction that, uh, if you look at any major Merino company, like a smart wool or something like that, that almost all of their stuff is muesling free. It's basically an animal cruelty, uh, an animal cruelty issue. Yeah. Interesting. Merino is what you want to look for, um, for sure, because it's a specific type of sheep. There is a lot of wool out there that's not merino, and it won't have the exact same properties and, and hand feel. Hand feel is a big thing, the softness. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of writers that I talk to, friends and um, just some of our readers as well, they they have been educated. They know that they want merino, that it has these performance properties. But I think most of us assume we're getting 100% and like you said, that's not, that's not even desirable, right? Like I imagine if a piece was a hundred percent Merino, it would be like sort of saggy and, you know, it wouldn't have some of the other benefits that you would get if you're blending it with another material. Yeah, I, that's, I would say that's totally a personal preference, but I agree that I would prefer to have at least a small component of synthetic, even if it's like 10 to 20%. Uh, for the structure is kind of the main thing because merino is a very delicate material if it's not blended with something. That being said, there's companies like Icebreaker and Smartwool that for years have uh, made 100% merino pieces. Uh, it's just you as a consumer have to understand how to care for those, which is a very delicate washing process, no drying, anything. Often, often people hand wash the stuff. So the other big advantage, yeah, the other big advantage is uh, you can make effectively what's a washable uh, merino wool garment if you combine it with a fabric that doesn't have the tendency, or I'm sorry, yarn, the tendency to shrink uh, or pill or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, I'm sure, I mean, that's a huge part for a lot of people. Nobody wants a high maintenance sort of garment that they're going to have to hand wash, especially bikers. I feel like most of us, we just throw our stuff off you know, after we're done riding and <laughs> like, yeah, don't want to, don't want to have to deal with that hassle. I couldn't agree more. We do tend to be a slightly fickle bunch, but you know, everyone's got a lot of stuff going on. So the less hassle something is, the better it is generally for the consumer. That's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. Well, so we talked about some of the technical benefits to having, uh, you know, mountain bike specific clothing. Why are these pieces often more expensive than like a general athletic wear? Like, you know, you could go to, you go to like a big, I don't, you could go to Target and you could buy, you know, a quote unquote technical T-shirt uh, for, I don't know, 10 bucks, 15 bucks. Uh, but mountain bike specific pieces obviously are, are more expensive. So why is that? Well, I guess I'll go a little bit into inside baseball here with like the business aspect. Um, this is kind of my perception as to why there's a big cost difference. As with a lot of niche categories in anything. Uh, you're going to be paying more partly because you're in a niche. So a t-shirt that you can buy from say champion at target, they're producing, uh, not in the thousands of units, but probably in the tens to hundreds of thousands of units per type of garment. So that one t-shirt, they made tens of thousands of it once. So with that kind of quantity, you're gaining incredible efficiencies in the manufacturing and efficiencies in manufacturing almost always uh, turn into a lower cost. So that's why a boutique 
uh, frame manufacturer has to charge a significant amount more because they're effectively just spreading the cost across less frames of all of their overhead. So with most mountain bike brands, that's basically the same story. Um, you're producing a lot less pieces. Um, typically with a mountain bike garment, you know, a lot of them just tend to be a basic tech tee, uh, but you might throw in a sunglass wipe. You know, for instance, <laughs> we have a new jersey. We have a new jersey that's coming out. It's a polyester. Uh, we do buy it from an Italian mill, so it, you know it's it's made not in China or Taiwan, but it's made in an Italian mill. Whether that's a huge benefit or not is debatable. Um, they both make really great product, but like we are making less product, that Italian mill is also making less of that material. So the material we're sourcing is generally a little bit more expensive. Mm -hmm. What it affords us is it affords us a, a nimble base on which to improve product, change product, uh, manipulate things if we need to, uh, do smaller production runs if we'd like to. You know, We like to create as little waste as possible. And I think a lot of bike brands are generally like that too. You just don't want a lot of stuff sitting on the shelf at the end of the day that you have to blow out. It, it almost is like a that's almost an environmental hazard on its own. So I think a lot of it is scale. The other direction you might be uh, seeing costs increase from is if you are including some kind of technology in the yarn. So a lot of the basic level tech tees, like I said before, um, a basic polyester tee is better than a basic cotton tee. So you'd be totally fine to go out and buy a champion tee at Target and ride in that, and it would be better. That being said, uh, for instance, in our new mountain bike short, uh, we have a new line coming out called TELUS, putting in some product plug here, <laughs> if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. In that new product, uh, in the short specifically, we were trying to create an ultralight, ultra wicking short, um, which is kind of not the direction that a lot of the, the market has gone recently. A lot of people are going towards a very stretchy material, but they're often putting a DWR coating on it. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't put a DWR coating on our new short. We made it as we made it as fast and efficient wicking as possible. And we achieved that using uh, yarn from a company called 37.5, which is actually up the road from us in Boulder. They're a yarn technology company. And what they do is they basically uh, inject activated charcoal particles in with the polyester yarns that we make the short out of. Mm. And what it does is it actually increases the speed at which it draws sweat off your body. So uh, paired with a mesh bib liner that we're going to also be coming out with, that gives you really fast moisture transfer and also really quick drying. So even if your short does get a little wet, it dries really, really rapidly. So where I'm going with that is we've used a yarn that we're actually paying license fee licensing fee for the yarn and the yarn itself is more expensive because it has this added technology that doesn't wash out it doesn't uh, degrade over time so we are using slightly more than you know your basic polyester yarn so that is also going to increase costs on our end which then obviously translates into a slightly higher cost than on the uh, msrp side so yeah that's part of it too companies are often just injecting a, a technology uh of some sort mm-hmm well, it's, you know, you mentioned the materials and sort of the volume is the construction part of that as well. I mean, are, are a lot of mountain bike pieces, they have more like panels and things that need to be sewn together or like extra pockets, you know, again, for, we're talking about one of these target t-shirts, you know, those, those are pretty simple. It's just a t-shirt, but I guess mountain bikers, we expect to have pockets in the rear on certain jerseys and zippers and all kinds of doodads. Yep. Bells and whistles. Every bell and every whistle adds <laughs> money. So this is like a constant struggle in an apparel company. It's build a concept, get it to where you think would be cool. And then you have to look at it and you have to go, okay, 
we have a cost, we have a target we want to hit. Mm-hmm. Where are we adding extra stuff where we're not genuinely uh, improving the quality of the experience for the person? So mm-hmm. we'll have to strip back pockets or zippers or little reflective trims or things like that that in theory could add to the benefit of the rider. Um, where we can cut it, we'll cut it, but where we think it's totally necessary, we'll keep it. So for instance, our new Teleshort, we tried to keep it as simple as possible in terms of paneling because you're right, there is there is a cost associated with basic time to sew a garment because you're obviously paying a person to sew the garment. Mm-hmm. So the more time it takes to sew it, the more money you're paying for it. Also, if your panels are not shaped efficiently, what you end up doing is you end up cutting out a panel and then you throw away the scrap. Now often, like companies like us, since we're what's called vertical, since we own our manufacturing, we actually keep that scrap, and then we actually sell the scrap back to mill partners who collect uh, polyester scraps, nylon scraps, and it allows us to keep more stuff out of the trash um, because recycling is a huge thing right now um, in textiles and just life in general. Yeah. So that kind of is closing the loop a little bit at least on waste. So the less efficient you are with those panels, you're actually literally just cutting off money because mm-hmm. you're cutting off fabric you already purchased and effectively recycling it or throwing it away. So we recoup a little bit of the cost of recycling, but... Not all of it. So that does add costs. You have to factor in the lost material uh, that you throw away. And then, uh, you know, a, a big hit to most garments is a zipper. So zippers are incredibly expensive when you're talking uh, garments uh, and their general parts costs. That's probably one of the most expensive things you can add. So our new short, uh, the Telus, has one fly zipper and then two zippered pockets. And that adds probably uh, 15% to the cost of the short. Oh, wow. Just three pockets. Yeah, it's incredible. Huh, interesting. So given all of that, what would would you say is like the most important characteristic of a successful piece of mountain bike clothing? Is it going to be comfort or durability or performance? I mean, there's so many things that go into it. What's kind of like at the top for you as a designer? Hmm. For me as a designer... I have to look at our customer base and try and understand what their real ride objectives are and what their expectations are for the clothes. Because, of course, that uh, what makes something successful is definitely subjective for both the user and for the company because we want to just make sure that we are supplying what our consumers are really looking for. What are they looking for, though? Like, what, what would you say is the number one thing? Like, I don't know. I would guess it's just, does it look good? Right. I mean, is that kind of on the right track or, or are people more practical and saying, I want something that's really comfortable or I want something that performs really well? I think it totally depends on who you're talking to. So I know a number of people where they're going to value durability and rugged design features as their, their paramount focus on when they're purchasing a piece. So if they get something and they can't, uh, you know, slide out on pavement at 20 miles an hour <laughs> and it survives, then that's a piece of garbage to them, you know? Just wear dickies, I guess, right? Like Yeah, exactly. You might as well just start wearing denim if that's your plan. But yeah, for for us personally with Pactimo, our 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 ethos with mountain bike design is to really cater to our crossover customer, someone who's really accustomed to wearing a Lycra kit for probably at least half of their riding time. Maybe they're on a cross bike, maybe they're on a gravel bike, maybe they're just road riding because they're also on a road team. So with our new Telus line, for instance, 
our conception is to really market to that cross-disciplinary rider. So we're looking at lightweight, breathable, stretchy, great fit, and then a kind of timeless style. So you'll look at our new stuff uh, when it comes out, which is in March. You'll, you'll look at it and you'll go, okay. You know, it's, it's not blowing me away aesthetically. There's not a ton of bells and whistles, but the whole point was really nail our fabric choices so that we're producing something that is as breathable as we can find, as lightweight as we can find, and then also helping to transport that moisture off your body. That's like a critical thing to us. Um, coming from a heavy road background, as our company is, we think we've done a pretty good job analyzing what uh, fabrics are going to do a great job of of keeping a rider comfortable and keeping them as efficient as possible. And we just wanted to apply it to the rider who doesn't necessarily want to be kitted out because sometimes, you know, we have, we have customers who are kind of banging on the door for something that's not a spandex kit and (laughs) they're just ride, they're just riding road. Like a lot of people are coming from mountain bike or they're coming just from another part of life where they're not really a cyclist. And, you know, there is that, there is that kind of hump you have to get over as a beginner cyclist to throwing on Lycra. Um, so the idea with this stuff is, you know, you can throw it on and you can go for a road ride. It is kind of a little more suited for mountain biking, but since it's so lightweight and so breathable, uh, we think it's going to work great for that really cross-disciplinary person. So for Pactimo, uh, the most important thing to us is comfort, uh, and comfort means really good wicking, lightweight, breathable, lots of airflow. But a lot of mountain bikers are kind of on the total opposite end of the spectrum. So if you're riding, you know, a 160, 170 enduro bike and you're always with a full face helmet, we do also have stuff that kind of suits that person, mm-hmm. uh, our train collection. And that's kind of a much more bomb proof, uh, thicker fabric. It doesn't breathe quite as well, um, but it will definitely give you the ability to like crash out a ton and not worry about damaging your, your apparel. So to me, it's all about finding a company whose messaging is kind of hooking up with what you're looking for. Um, and if they offer a bunch of stuff, that's awesome. Um, we try to cater to a lot of people, but we are really putting a lot of, uh, brain power into this kind of cross disciplinary lightweight efficiency, uh, story. So, yeah, well, it sounds like, you know, Comfort is probably the primary and, and performance as well, because that plays into it. But how do trends like fashion trends play into apparel design in general and specifically mountain bike apparel? Like, is this something you look at every season and it kind of changes or, you know, are there certain styles that you look for places you go to see sort of what these trends are and how you might be able to incorporate them? Sure. So we don't change our aesthetic too much from year to year. Um, and I think if you look at the market more broadly, I think the way that companies tend to, uh, separate out is, is almost like a generalization of a rider group. And there are certain aesthetics that definitely fit into that. So fashion is definitely a thing, even if people are kind of, uh, not too conscious of it, you, you do kind of dress into the group that you ride with. And that's not hundred percent true for everyone. Obviously I'm not trying to paint people into a corner, (laughs) but if you're looking at, you know, (laughs) if you're looking at, uh, companies that are what you'd consider probably mountain bike stalwarts, like, uh, Troy Lee Fox ride hundred percent, there's like a heavy MX influence there. Like they are 
They are motocross crossover companies that make awesome, awesome stuff. And you just have to really like that aesthetic if that's what you're going for. And both Fox and Ride 100%, they do make pieces that kind of cross over a little more into that all-mountain, cross-country type rider. But that that rider is kind of pegged into that kind of more enduro MX look or just someone who likes that MX look. But if you look at um, kind of newer brands like Kettle Mountain or Kitspo or Seven Mesh, there's a distinctly uh, hiking outdoor industry vibe to that stuff where it's more muted colors, it's more natural hand feel materials, and that's that's signifying to me a different type of rider. That's kind of like your that's like your weekend warrior who might also be a hiker. They might go camping one weekend, mountain biking the next, or they're just really into a more understated look. So it definitely is a signal, um, I think. And you know that's how fashion works in general. It's kind of just a signal that you're putting out to the rest of the world uh, how you identify. So we we definitely try to make sure that we are reading the signals of our customers and understanding how they they're going to want to look. So we we kind of skirt the line of we've got some fun bright stuff because we don't want to be boring, but we also do have a lot of understated stuff because. Again, to generalize a little bit, we do have a slightly older customer base, and if we if that customer is going to generally look for potentially a slightly more subdued style, we want to be able to offer that too. So again, our nimbleness in being vertical does allow us to experiment both of those. So our Nutella stuff will come in a slightly louder uh, orientation or a slightly more subdued orientation, all in the same fabric, um, but just from like a color perspective and a design perspective. But fabrics also play into that. Like I was saying, like some people like a more natural feeling jersey, so can gravitate towards certain companies. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. I'm also really fascinated to like see how mountain bike style in general has evolved. You know, mountain biking started in the like seventies, early eighties. And you look at pictures from back then that guys are wearing like flannels and, and blue jeans and stuff. And then, then we had this time in the nineties where it seemed like the, the fashion was like kind of influenced by road cycling. So a lot of stuff was bright colors and tight and, you know, form fitting and stuff. And then today we're seeing a lot more of the baggy and more muted styles. Like, do you think mountain biking has kind of finally settled into its own style or are we still like kind of evolving and, and branching away from like general cycling or road cycling? It's tough to say. Um, I think what's going on right now in mountain bike is just a broader reflection of what's going on in the bike industry in general. If it's, it's almost impossible to not be aware of what's happening with gravel these days. Um, we're obviously like really keyed into it cause we have a huge road component to our brand and, and a lot of road is switching over to gravel. And I think, I think similarly, there are a lot of people who are mountain bikers who have picked up like a monster cross or, you know, a gravel bike that fits a 2.4 650b tire thing but it's a drop it's a drop bar and maybe they're going bikepacking on it or something like that and i think there's this there's this almost coalescing of this off-road community together and i think a lot of them have decided that like the more natural country granola outdoor vibe is uh is kind of what they're liking at the moment and you know I, i'm sitting here staring at the dirty jerseys poster i don't know if you've ever seen that it's like it's a photo collection of a bunch of awesome 80s jerseys that you were talking about, 80s and 90s, like Tomac stuff. And I can totally see it just swinging right back that direction at some point. Mm. Um, because I think, you know, 
there's only so many muted colors that you can sell a short in and sell a jersey in and i think eventually people are going to want to diversify their closet because uh as fashion goes it's cyclical and and people move on and they get kind of tired of what's in their closet every day and um it's a bit consumers but i think that's kind of how a lot of this works (laughs) uh to some extent unfortunately so um i think people will look for a point of differentiation i bet you'll start to see a bunch of splashes of color coming in there but you know, I think the natural look, the baggy look, that's also being informed by that move to a lot of uh, uh, synthetic and natural blend material. So blending back in those merinos and that kind of thing, or like the flannels, that naturally brings back that outdoorsy vibe of the kind of more earth tone and that kind of thing. So I just think there's a real moment happening in cycling and the outdoor industry in general where people are just super into having fun outside, uh, not being on the road, getting out in the woods, getting out on dirt. I think that's really heavily informing color and silhouettes and different types of garments that people are really gravitating towards and companies are trying to provide. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we're also seeing, you know, people just in general are dressing a lot more casually, you know, whether it's work or socially or whatever. Um, And, you know, there's this whole athleisure wear trend where, you know, people are wearing clothing that's designed for athletic activities, but they're wearing it all the time in their everyday sort of wardrobe. So what's your take on that? Is that something that you are seeing or or are trying to target or that Pactimo is working on? So the athleisure trend to me is interesting. If you really dig back into it, it's probably been around for about almost 10 years now, I'd say, in kind of a big way. Yeah, and and it's kind of shocking to think about, but if you think about when the Lululemons of the world started popping up and becoming a acceptable thing to wear in public, (laughs) that was about 10 years ago. And and I think what's happened is there's just been almost a total blurring of line between everyday wear and athleisure. And, And to me, interestingly, I think athleisure is actually almost just fully been enveloped into normal life. And I think you're right that there is a huge uh, casualization to make up a word (laughs) of uh, how people are dressing these days. And, you know, we're in Denver and just kind of Colorado. And I think the mountain West in general has a really different perspective on how you should dress. And (laughs) uh, (laughs) I've become decidedly more lazy uh, with trying to look cool and current uh not to say that i don't pay attention to that stuff because it is my job but you know right now i'm wearing jeans a flannel button up because it's snowing outside right now uh and i've got like a pair of mr rogers vans that i keep at the office every day because i commute in so that's kind of like that's kind of the style that you see on most people in the denver area unless they really have a job that demands a suit um it's very casual and you know i think that really informs where we come from for sure um and there are definitely brands out that there that are keying off more what's happening in uh la san francisco new york and and i'd say they do have a decidedly more sartorial uh take on what's going on with their fashion Hmm. so i don't think i'm consciously trying to exude mountain west style uh (laughs) with us but I think it does definitely inform the choices we make in fabrics and colors and uh, silhouettes and things like that. Um, with our mountain bike stuff, 
we still have a little bit of a technical uh, look to our things just because our heritage is pretty deep in the technical, printable, customizable fabrics and fabrication. So I think that's always going to be a, a, a line of DNA that runs through everything we do. Um, that being said, like I was mentioning earlier, we are exploring um, some merino blends and expanding our line out to include pieces that blur that casual and bike line. Um, and there's a lot of companies that have done that to varying degrees of success. Like I'd say that um, there's a big strain of kind of Mountain West fervor for a club ride type look where they're bringing like a almost a literal Western look to it. That is actually what they do. Um, so, you know, they're, they're a good example of a company that kind of exudes their, um, their aesthetic really strong. We, we try to stay a little more neutral just because our customer base is all over the country and the world. We have distribution in the EU too. So, um, we, we, we want to make sure we're kind of like, uh, not offensive to, uh, any one particular group of people, you know? Right. Interesting. Well, one of the other things that I noticed and that I think kind of sets your design ideas apart from maybe what other people are doing is, you know, every, almost every piece of mountain bike clothing we test is marketed as a piece that works great on the bike, but also looks good at the bar. And I mean, literally like, I bet if you Google that phrase, you'll find it on like, I don't know, dozens of, of clothing brands, websites. And I recently checked out one of uh, the Pactimo jackets, the Ridgeline hoodie, which you guys market as a piece that kind of flips that idea on its head. And it's designed first and foremost for everyday wear, but it also has these like technical features that work well on the bike. So what sort of brought you to, to try this approach and, and like, I don't know, kind of flip this on its head. Like why, why go that direction? Uh, so, so to be honest with you, a, a big part of that was, uh, we were hearing from our custom team that they were looking for almost like think of a pit jacket effectively. So something that they weren't really necessarily looking to ride in all the time. Uh, and they wanted something that they could customize. So that jacket, you can actually order that through our custom division with whatever you want on it, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, we have some stock designs that you can just purchase, which is what you, uh, you tested, but we wanted to make something that was like a cool hoodie for teams to wear around in the pits at a cross race or before your mountain bike race or after it. Um, you know, it's, it's virtually waterproof. It's a membrane material. It just doesn't have seam, uh, seam sealing. So we don't call it waterproof, but it is for all intents and purposes, waterproof. It'll eventually leak through at the seams, but, uh, that takes quite a deluge. Uh, the waters, uh, the waterproofness of it is pretty high. Um, anyways, the, the, the idea was, you know, we, we have a number of cross teams. We have a lot of mountain bikers that do custom through us. So we started from the perspective of, well, what would make an awesome pit piece or an awesome piece to like have a beer and after the ride. And then we worked backwards in there and said, well, you know, we're making a jacket out of a technical material. So why wouldn't we design in some kind of ride specific features? So the, the drop tail is, you know, one of those things where it's got a pretty extreme differential between the front and the back of the garment. So when you're in riding position, you don't get too much bunching in the front and you're you know covered in the back. So you still get a good amount of water coverage, uh, water spray coverage on the back, you know, and then we added little things like, 
a bunch of reflective tabs all over it. So when you are riding, um, you know, maybe, you know, I've, I used to race cross and there would be a number of cross races I'd go to where the warm up was just go out on the road outside the venue and ride up and down on the road. So if you're on like uh, cat four racing at 7am and you're riding on a road at pre, you know, pre dawn or just after dawn, we wanted to make sure people could see you. So reflective zipper, reflective tabs, that kind of thing. So it was mostly born out of the need for a pit jacket. And then we were like, Hey, let's, let's make sure you can actually do a little bit of riding in it. And then it's been really cold and really wet here in Denver, which is very odd for our area. We're basically a desert, but, um, we've been getting a ton of snow and I've been commuting in that thing every single day. And it's been a pretty awesome commuting jacket too. So yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those things where the material lended itself to being uh, a nice technical riding piece too. So we, we didn't want to ignore that possibility. Yeah. And given sort of what we're saying about people, you know, dressing more casually, like in everyday life, it's kind of funny to even think like, what, what could you wear to a bar that people would like, look at you funny, you know, like you wear a tank top to a bar and nobody's going to like give you a glance. So it's kind of, it's kind of like a low bar, right? Like to say, we're going to design something that looks good in a bar. Like, I mean, everything looks good in a bar these days, it seems right. Yeah, certainly in Colorado, that's for sure. Um, you're almost <laughs> expected to be in like an Arcteryx jacket or something, uh, or you're like, where did you come from? <laughs> or like Lycra, I could see that, right? Like you don't, you, you should at least cover up if you got a pair of like tight shorts on. Yeah, exactly. We 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 often have like a an annual conversation about what makes a good crossover commuter lifestyle piece for that you can also ride in and it's kind of one of those things where you want three things you want three things done well well you can't you have to pick two and ultimately that's that tends to be where most things fall you kind of got to decide what are your real priorities so there have been brands that have made some pretty successful pieces like um Back in the day, I was a huge fan of what Giro was doing with their new road line. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, right. Um, yep. Yeah, I had some of those pieces. Yep. Yeah, and I had a ton of it. And the Giro new road was way ahead of its time. And, you know, if that that if that if was made now, uh, it would have been doing really, really well, I think. And they have a few pieces that are like that. But that's kind of one of those, those collections where I think they came probably the closest of most brands I've seen where I might actually wear that pair of shorts after my ride to a restaurant to grab food. And, and I think it also, you're also, or companies are also typically assuming a certain level of, uh, I need to change and be presentable to go get tacos and beer after my mountain bike ride. I think most people are totally happy to just roll up to the <laughs> roll up to the bar in their sweaty gear and and wear that. So you know, it's it's cool. I think what a lot of people want to do is they want to extend their reach further into people's lives and uh, you know capture capture them outside of riding. So um, to me, that's kind of a, a good way to focus that kind of discussion. And that's generally what we do here is you know we want to extend our reach into people's lives so that if you like Pactimo, we're, we're giving you what you want. Um, no matter where you are. So I, I think that's kind of the mentality that a lot of companies are uh, approaching it from. And then they add a lot of like kind of ride specific features that may or may not make it a little too nerdy and a little too, uh, a little too obvious uh, and standing out in like a kind of traditional dress environment. 
like a bar or something like that. So it's a fine line. Yeah. I mean, I mean, fashion too, right at, at its very nature is about kind of expressing who you are. And if you're a mountain biker, yeah, I mean, why not take an opportunity when you're not on the bike? I mean, when you're on the bike, it's obvious you're a mountain biker, but you know, in the rest of your life, you know, that's part of your personality as part of who you are, then it makes sense that you would choose clothing that would maybe reflect that. For sure. And I think, I think people are generally becoming a little more comfortable with kind of owning their personality and, and dressing that way. And, you know, it's pretty easy to mask a technical top, mm-hmm. especially if you've got like a natural blend of material. So like if you're making like a ride tee that's made of Merino blend kind of looks like a t-shirt. So that's really easy where you're going to run into trouble. And we didn't even try and do this with our new Telus short. We didn't, we didn't even try and make it look casual. Like it doesn't look overtly technical, but it would look weird if you were wearing it, not in relation or contact or in context with a bike. If, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So we went for te- we went for technical with it, and it's kind of unabashed in that in that perspective. Cool. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. So, what is something you would say that a lot of mountain bike clothing designers get wrong? So I don't know that anything's being done wrong per se. Um, I think I think that the kind of tribal nature of mountain biking and that kind of many niches perspective that uh comes through with mountain biking you've got your cross-country oriented people you're all train riders your enduro riders your epic riders your bike packers you've got so many different categories i think maybe the biggest mistake is just not clearly defining what your brand is trying to achieve and who you're trying to speak to i think some brands are absolutely fantastic at it and it's just so crystal clear if i want to kind of exude that look and exude that uh, message as a rider, I'm going to gravitate towards this. And that's where I was talking about like the Foxes and the Troy Lees. Like they make killer stuff. It's just, you've got to like that aesthetic and it kind of really speaks to a certain thing, but there are some companies that might be a little bit confused or they don't really clearly uh, exude that message. So I don't know, to me, that's kind of a, that's kind of maybe the, the, the point at which you're going to see a lot of mistakes is just features that don't really match up with who the customer that they're attracting is, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that that's, and as a product designer, that's probably one of the most complicated things. Like I was saying, we want to make sure that we're understanding what our customer is looking for so that when they come to us for that thing, they aren't disappointed by like a weirdly placed pocket or a fabric that's too heavy or, you know, like we want to match the expectation. So that's, that's, I guess, broadly probably where you're going to see the most uh, discrepancy with mountain bike products. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I don't want to necessarily, I don't want to, I don't want to bash anyone because I don't think anyone's like doing anything particularly terrible. It's just, there's so much, there's so much variance in types of riders and types of clothes that match up with those riders that it can be tough to kind of, as a consumer, dig through it all and figure out what's going to really match up with my needs. Right. Yeah. And it seems like there are so many clothing brands. I mean, a lot of like really small ones, right? I mean, there aren't like sort of big dominant players in the market necessarily. I mean, it seems like there's always a lot of these like smaller brands that come and go and that, yeah, maybe it sounds like maybe part of what they get wrong is like not identifying who their customer is. I think that's a huge thing. Um, people, people individually are so varied that if you're designing it with yourself in mind, uh, 
I, I know for me, I'm a very kind of odd mix of rider, uh, and I have a very different visual aesthetic than I think what a lot of people think I might have, uh, from the type of riding I do. Um, so if I were to just design things that were like for me, I think we'd alienate a lot of our customers. <laughs> so, uh, a really, a really critical thing is, uh, just understanding where, uh, the broad base is coming from and trying to really, uh, nail that with the messaging. And that's again, where our new Telus line comes in. It's, how do I really nail that person who's like, I'm going to pick up a gravel bike this year. I don't know if I'm totally into it, uh, but I need something that I can like ride out my door instead of going and driving an hour to the trailhead. So maybe I can capture that guy who is looking for a brand that is speaking to someone who, uh, you know, who may be a roadie, maybe a mountain biker, um, and they're kind of dabbling in it and they don't want to commit to like, a heavier duty short that has a ton of zippers and Cordura panels and all that kind of thing. So, um, that's kind of where, that's kind of how we're approaching it. Yeah. Interesting. I thought for a second you were going to say that you're like an odd shape or size. And I feel like that's what I hear all the time. Every, everybody in the world is like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm a weird size, right? Like fit, I feel like is a thing that is really tough to get. And it's not anybody's fault. I mean, everybody is, differently proportioned. And so, you know, not, not every brand's going to fit everybody and nobody, you know, really we all need custom clothes is what it comes down to. Everybody needs like exactly something made for them, but that's not possible. Yeah. So I am an odd shape. Uh, <laughs> aren't we all I'm really, yeah, all right. right. Yeah. I'm really short. Uh, and we actually, all of our stuff is slightly too long for me because I'm actually slightly shorter on average than your standard small. Mm -hmm. So my stuff that I design actually doesn't perfectly fit me, which is kind of a funny <laughs> irony yeah. if you think about it. But that sizing fits our more broad uh, customer base. So to get to the sizing thing, if you don't mind nerding out on that for a minute, yeah. sizing is at its core, the most important thing for a brand, I think. And I, and I think if you thought, if you talk to a lot of other people in the apparel industry, sizing really is one of the most critical things that a company does in conception of product. And typically what companies like us do is we have a defined fit that we will reevaluate every year and just make sure that we are not an outlier in some way. Um, we don't change it year to year. We actually are incredibly consistent with our fit. It, we actually started having a conversation this year about making some small changes to fit and the ramifications to doing even small adjustments to your fit is incredible. And huh. you've really got to consider how that impacts your customer's experience because we have customers who've been coming back to us for seven years. And if they come back and they buy a new Jersey and it's off because we changed some value in our fit, yeah. that's going to create a, a bad experience for a loyal customer. So it's always that struggle of like, we think we can probably improve some stuff if we, you know, open this up, literally a centimeter can make all the difference in the feel of a garment. That's mostly, that's more so in like the tighter fitting garments. Mountain bike stuff is a little more forgiving because it's loose, 
but you've got all kinds of proportions that you've got to take into consideration. So you've got to really figure out what are the right leg openings, what are the right lengths for different types of riders, the waist measurements, and all that kind of stuff are really super critical for a, a good experience on the bike. And unfortunately, we can't hit that for everyone. So there are going to be people who get our stuff, put it on and go, nah, just doesn't work. And, and, you know, we, we wish we could accommodate for that. Um, and the way we do accommodate for it is we do, you know, we offer free exchanges because we're an online only company. So we want people to be able to exchange it and maybe try one of our other mountain bike shorts or another type of bib short. Um, cause different fabrics do have different thick qualities and different feels to them too. So that's the other consideration. Every single garment, even if it's fit to the same fit block, will have a slightly different feel to it. So there's, there's a million moving parts and that's definitely one of the hardest things for an apparel company. And, you know, we have two people that are dedicated to the development of our product and those two people are kind of the keepers of the fit and they're the keepers of effectively what the pack team will feel is. Um, they're absolutely critical to our products being consistent and, uh, you know, a really reliable, consistent, ex- consistent experience for our customer. Yeah. I mean, it seems like that could easily be a big part of brand loyalty as well. You know, somebody tries a piece or two and they say, yeah, that, the Bactimo stuff fits me really well. And so that's why I buy it. You know, it's not cause it looks good or cause it's cheap or cause it works well. Like it just fits. And I finally found something that fits. Yep. And I haven't, I haven't necessarily run the numbers on that, but I know that there are a great deal of people who specifically cite that as a reason that they are a loyal, loyal customer of Pactimo. It's just something about our fit that they have latched onto and it's a reliable experience for them. Uh, you're in, you're in and you're out when they want to refresh bibs or jerseys or something like that. So yeah, it, it is really a totally critical part of making sure that people have a great experience with you. Yeah. Cool. So one final question for you, what opportunities do you see for the evolution of mountain bike clothing in the future? Is it all about materials or are there design things or fashion trends or what, what do you see on the horizon? You know, I think there's maybe two ways to approach this question. So we just came off of Outdoor Retailer Show, which is actually here in Denver, which is really cool for us. It's a, it's the biggest outdoor uh, gear expo in America mm-hmm. where we get to go and see what all of the major companies in hiking, skiing, whatever kind of outdoor pursuit you'd like are doing. And then there's also our mill partners and new mill partners uh, that are there. Mills are where we purchase our fabrics. And it's just so cool to go there and see all of the new stuff, all of the new tech. So short term, year to year, there's always like a cool new material to experiment with. So material innovations are just coming at you so fast these days. The the manufacturing is so advanced that, you know, we're mostly playing in just what are different uh, yarn types and compositions and things that can help improve rider experience. That's like a big part of textile design and development. Mm -hmm. So that's always one thing that we're like always trying to pay attention to. So functional increases in our apparel is a huge thing. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's always a pretty big strain in where stuff is going for apparel. And then another big thing that is undeniably here is what is the life cycle of a product? And, um, where are you getting your source materials? Um, so to me, that's almost 
going to be going forward uh, the most important thing when it comes to uh, determining how you want to build a product. It's where did the source material come from? So is it petroleum-based? Is it bio-based? How does it perform when it's on the bike? So how well does it wear? How well does it wash? How What's the longevity of it effectively? How long can you wear it? Yeah. And then when you're done wearing it due to it falling apart eventually or uh, you're just sick of the style or whatever reason you want to dispose of it, what happens after? So like those are those are huge things that are happening and like it's it's impossible to not be exploring that and experimenting with it as a company these days. So to me, that's definitely the biggest, that's definitely the biggest direction. And, and as mountain bikers and, you know, people who I think generally we think of ourselves as good stewards of the outdoors, I think it's really critical for us to be paying more attention to what we're selling and the impact of that. Because in reality, the more stuff you make, the more trash there is. So how can we reduce that footprint and reduce that impact uh, at the back end? So you really got to look long term um, in where where your product goes. Yeah, I remember seeing a press release or some news item. Maybe it was from Outdoor Retailer about a biodegradable shoe, and you know they were they were touting all the environmental benefits of this. But yeah, I couldn't help but think like what if you made a shoe that lasted like five years, you know, like I, I blow through a pair of shoes in one year, but you know, just imagine that, right? Like if you're able to build something that, that lasts rather than like, Oh, you know, it's easy to recycle or, or put in the ground and turn into compost. Like seems like that for sure is a, is a good way to help the environment. Yeah. And, and that's, that's absolutely a totally valid uh, approach for a company to take. And I think it really depends on what the arena you're playing in uh, is because it's that kind of uh, you got to pick two of three things. And Mm -hmm. for for us specifically, for us specifically, a lot of our garments are so lightweight that they just there's an inherent uh, fragileness to them to some extent, like not, we're not, we're trying to design things as durable as we possibly can. But at the end of the day, a lightweight t-shirt material can only take so many crashes, can only take so many wash cycles. Um, you know, so like for certain product, if you're going for a particular type of technical attribute, you're going to have to then determine, well, if the priority was the technicality, so the breathability, the lightweight, whatever the, the function may be, you then have to figure out a way to remedy that on the back end. Or like we've gone back to a few times, we could all just ride in like denim, which would certainly be way more durable and last a lot longer, but our experience wouldn't be quite as like freeing and, and fun. Cause, cause to me, to me, the most important thing is the clothes just kind of disappear on you. There's nothing more annoying than like something that rides or uh, does something weird and you just can't get it out of your head. Uh, when you're riding. So to me, it's like, that's kind of the most important thing. And that's again, speaking to that whole advantage of a technical material. Yeah. Right on. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Ryan, for taking the time and explaining to us sort of how mountain bike apparel works and and sort of giving us insight into the design process and also how the uh, industry works. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. It was was really cool to uh, have this conversation and I've got all this uh, latent knowledge. It's great to <laughs> it's great to get it out there. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. I was thinking kind of a similar thing that we have these conversations at trade shows and events and things. And 
consumers usually aren't a part of it. So hopefully people will find this interesting and, and maybe have some more insight the next time they're shopping for mountain bike clothing. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you.